welcome. Uh, thanks for appreciate your time. I know it's pushing to busy see that you guys are getting really, really busy. And uh, thanks for agreeing to join the Mummy and Money podcast. Uh, that's my uh, audience. And uh, maybe just to start with introduce yourself a little bit. And I know who you are, but like, um, I would like to hear from you, like uh, really your story. Sure. My name is Mark Prober, CPA. I run a tax firm. We specialize in advanced tax reduction strategies for entrepreneurs and real estate investors. We do tax planning for all of our clients and offer bookkeeping and tax prep. The firm has been in operations for a little over four years now, and uh, we're growing fast and uh, loving every second, sort of. And uh, it's been uh, it's been a journey. Wonderful, wonderful. Like I know you used to working for the big public accounting firms. Like what make you transition to be entrepreneur four years ago? I was bored. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool answer. A similar story. Um, so, like, uh, what what do you feel is the most challenge as entrepreneur so far? Well, I, I think every yeah, I mean, the, the answer is ever changing, but you just have to learn so much. As soon as you learn how to do your craft, you have to learn how to sell it. And as soon and then when you start getting good at selling it, you then need to learn how to hire because you sold so much of it. And then because you hired the right people, you gotta learn, then you got to learn how to fire the right people. And then you got to learn how to lead the right people. And then once you become such a great leader and you have all these great people, now you gotta, I mean, you're always, as you evolve, you're always, the, the stuff that you don't know and have to learn is continually expanding. Not to mention that the tax code is continually expanding and infinite. So I think the hardest things is what we say is that it is a stressful environment it can be risky but also you just have to learn endlessly so much different things every day yeah I totally agree with you like uh, um right now i'm learning marketing <laughs> crm those type of stuff which is very very new for me like normally what like normally what what is your um way to learn new things you learn from people down there before you join course or you hire professionals, sometimes outsourcing people to help you, like how you do it. Yeah, so, um, you know, you have to prioritize your learning. Like you may have to make sacrifices, maybe lose some business opportunities because of this. Because the, the learning and the education can give you, the help you acquire attributes that may be the force multiplier. Like one small idea may double or triple your business in three years. So you got to carve out time to make sure you're doing it. You're actually committing yourself to growing. You're not just taking out fires and doing routine stuff all the time. And if you can hire a consultant who can shorten the amount of time to learn something, that's the best way to do it. And then you say the best way to learn. The way I see it, there's several ways to learn. Audio books and books are great. But if you can connect with the author of that book, you'll learn it a lot faster. And they'll be able to synthesize things and apply it and give you feedback on how you're applying these concepts. And because you're investing into a consultant, you're going to get a faster ROI. So I love the idea of hiring experts who are going to help move your business forward and collapse time. Also being a teacher, teaching things makes you learn. So if you need, and you should be teaching things as an entrepreneur, you should be doing everything in your business. So if you have to learn marketing, you should be teaching marketing to the people executing the marketing. Building those SOPs, not only does that make you more of a business or more efficient, it helps you solidify your knowledge. I totally agree with you. 
like uh, when you say teaching people, are you really means uh, uh, mentoring your staff or you are thinking about like a peer group with other entrepreneurs, like a peer, peer group learning each other? I heard that that's also very popular among those entrepreneurs or business owners. All of the above. But I think the first thing you want to think about is educating your team. And because you don't want to deprive them of the learning opportunities. You know, I see too many accounting firm owners thinking that, oh, only I can do this complex stuff. Only I can deliver this high-end consultation. And the truth is you, they're not as special as they think they are. And your staff will appreciate and become more value if you, valuable if you educate them on these topics and maybe teach them how to deliver a $50,000 tax plan. Now, so I think that you want to spread the love and spread the wealth of knowledge you're, you're acquiring here. And also because... You don't want everything to be relying on you. Yeah, totally, totally true. Like uh, uh, we know accounting is a kind of fragmented industry. Even we have a lot of big uh, public accounting firms, but still, you know, even just a little time I live, you know, there's, I don't know, half dozen, more than half dozen uh, accounting firms. Like why you choose uh, real estate in so many, like, like I don't understand, like, like we would talk about like marketing growth, I guess my question is, I have multiple questions. Why is it, why accounting is very fragmented? And uh, not, I don't think it's not because they don't have a growth mindset. A lot of account, accountants, they are happy with the clients they have. They don't want more clients. They actually fire some lower quality clients. They just want to have the size they want. Um, and I just want to hear from you, 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 your viewpoint since you're in this industry. Let me make sure I understand your question. So you're saying like, why is it fragmented or are you asking why are accounting firms a lot of them tend to just kind of stay, kind of have a... Try to let's say sub-million, sub-million revenue, right? A lot, I saw a lot, a lot of accounting firms, they are in the sub-million revenue category, bulk of them. And uh, the owner could be in the industry for 20, 30 years. They, I, I just don't, sometimes I don't understand, are, are they like, it's the mindset they don't want to grow big? Or is the mindset I'm totally happy to, you know, to be a small firm and uh, just uh, take care of the clients I already have? Yeah. So I think that it's just so hard to do what we do. It, it is such a specialized skill and it's such a, it's a professional skill that's hard. Most people fail their accounting class and, and, and most people pass their accounting classes, fail the CPA. There's a small minority of people who can do it, and it's incredibly hard taking in things all. You know, the way I could put it, I, I would make an analogy. I, I compare this, and sometimes I wish I owned like a Chick-fil-A franchise or a Chipotle, because you could teach anybody to roll a burrito. Very few people can really think critically about taxes and really deliver a powerful tax plan and communicate in a way that gets the client engaged it's hard it takes not only intelligence grit rigor creativity communication and i think a lot of people have found that rather than take on all this work and be overburdened and and challenge yourself to build these systems well i'm happy making my profit of three hundred thousand. i have a hundred clients that i like i'm good no more, you know, because it's exhausting. And, and to take on a client that either where things go wrong and your staff messes things up and you got to run in, it, it'll really break your heart. I mean, it is a hard business. So 
you know, a lot of folks are like that. Or, and others are, a lot of people are professors of bad business owners. They don't want to build, they don't know how to build processes. They're just practitioners and they just, they don't know how to oversee a lot of stuff. Do you also found really, really challenged, found a really good talent in the industry right now? It's incredibly large. Um, like how so? Like some something I don't understand is like I get educated in Australia. Like I remember in Australia in the accounting class, it's full of people, a lot of students learning accounting. Um, then you know the people do at least in Australia back then. Uh, it's easy for them to get an immigration visa. Like uh, after I moved to US, and I keep hearing the story. It's hard for an accountant. Like I sometimes I'm like. I feel probably certain um, incentives for people to learn this uh, professional will be helpful to provide the content. <laughs> well, the incentives are there. Is it there? Okay. In the form of profit. Because there's the scarcity of accountancy, if you can crack the code and figure out to either find or brew a team of powerful, reliable, efficient accountants, you can make a lot of money. Okay. So it's a trade-off. And the reason why I believe this is so, I can't find a good account is because a lot of these firms abuse their staff. Mm. They underserve, they undercharge, they put a lot of pressure on their staff. Every year during busy season, you hear about accountants dying of heart attacks because they overwork themselves. They don't charge enough to give them the resources to do the work on time. It can be a miserable profession if you are working for the wrong people. And I've been abused by past employers too. Mm. I would eat more hours than meals. And, you know, when you're paying someone less than $60,000 towards 60 hours a week and you're gaslighting them to make them feel inadequate because they're working so hard and no one else is is getting it done on time, it's, it's just not a, it's not a good gate at most of the, a lot of these places so people quit. They say, screw it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I would rather go, if, if I had to choose between being entry level at some of these these firms that just abuse their staff, or I would just rather do DoorDash. I'd rather drive Uber, think <laughs> more per hour. Yeah, I hear you say. Um, I feel you are absolutely correct. That's why a lot of international students work in those firms because they use the working visa as the handcuffed. They cannot move if they cannot find a sponsor. Like a DoorDash, not gonna sponsor the visa. So there's a lot of international students are stuck in that position um, and have an illusion to move up the chain. Right? You become partner or become you know director, etc. Which where few people can be at that position. You know, work uh, eight or ten years. You know, finally go through a long working hour. And also, once you move up, you have to be really good at selling. That's like any job. You need to bring clients. So you need to bring money to the table. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I I understand you. It's it's, it's hard business. Um, but like, why? Like, like, like. Uh, and let's shifting to the industry you focus on. I know you focus on real estate. Like, among so many industries, why you choose industry as your specialty? I chose real estate because I was always a real estate guy. I used to be a real estate agent. Always wanted to invest in real estate. Love to be around investors, and originally my plan was to transition into being a full-time real estate investor. So I've always been around that scene, and naturally, those who we attracted our referrals were other real estate investors. 
And also because we specialize in planning and many affluent people have real estate, there's just so many opportunities that come with owning and investing in real estate, being a real estate professional. So in, as we specialize in tax planning, having that real estate specialization, while we, 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 we don't just do real estate tax strategies, we look at everything, but the real estate specialization uh, allows us to, to find a lot of opportunities and really be subject matter experts in something. And everyone's, I mean, specialization really, really is so valuable because it helps you charge a better price, be more profitable. You know what kind of problems you're going to see. You can anticipate things. You can have templated work papers. The more you can specialize, usually you're the more profit you're going to have and the more you can charge. Oh, okay. Good to know that. Um, like, uh, I have a lot of friends who is uh, high paid professionals, high W2 earners, put it that way. Can those people, you know, to be, uh, take advantage of the tax, uh, uh treatment about real estate? Absolutely. Um, they can. And, um, we do have high paid W2 folks. There's a variety of strategies. A lot of people say, oh, your money's locked in the W2. You can't do anything. But there are strategies for the affluent that are, that are relevant that could be used. And we have made decent profit on seven figure W2 folks showing up how you can use real estate and other vehicles to reduce your taxes. Do they have to be like a real estate professional? I heard there's a certain threshold to be a real estate professional. Yeah, so real estate professional is one of the great opportunities. And sometimes the spouse will be a real estate agent slash stay at home mom or manage the rentals. So, you know, you can't have a W-2 and be real estate professional. So you, you both have W-2s. The other opportunity is to do short-term rentals. When the average length of stay is seven days or less, you self-manage. And now you have the opportunity to treat your losses as non-passive to cost-act. And you can get a deduction of around, I think, in 2024, around like $580,000 of a tax deduction against your W-2s. And it's not just that. There are other things you could do, charitable deduction strategies and other ways to take business losses that are available for, for high paid W-2, but they got to be willing to think outside of the box and change their situation to make these opportunities. Gotcha. Gotcha. seems that the concept, I heard a lot of people understand it, but the implementation, I think it's a harder part because then they probably need someone to hold their hands. What's the next step? What's the next step? You know, what's the whole process look like? Because those are high earn high W2 earners, they have, they have a busy professional work. So is that something your firm also helping those people doing? Um, in the implementation? Yeah, you said once you set up a tax strategy, do you also help them implement the tax strategy? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because the tax code changes and their lives change. They may have an ESOP and do some cap gains plan. Uh, you know, so we're always, we have to meet at, we do at least two meetings a year with our clients make sure our strategies are current, being implemented properly, see what changes we need to be made. Now, we're not going to help them manage their short-term rental. We can make some referrals or recommendations, but certainly we need to educate them on how to document these things properly to substantiate material participation to use their losses. You know, we can educate them on tracking their revenues and expenses, what resources to use there. So there's a lot of continuous conversations that we'll have on the execution of these plans and adjustments along the way. Gotcha, gotcha. 
Um, so are your business model based on like a transactional or like, a, you know, tax returns, how much, you know, tax planning is how much, or you also have a sort of like a monthly fee baked into the service because right now I encounter law firm, it's the first time I see a law firm, they charge a monthly fee, you can, you, they were limited how many questions you can ask. It's quite an interesting business model. Yeah. So we do, so we have a subscription model. So we're, we're. We're kind of aligning with the Ron Baker way of looking at things in, in the subscription model where we we don't even break out the cost of the different returns unless there are one-off returns or where the fees are shared between partners. But we take the prep and the advisory, we assign a value and break it into 12 months. And the reason why is some of the prep involves strategically thinking about our depreciation elections and taking that information and making current decisions. So, and also some of the prep involves reporting properly, understanding the strategies we've executed. So the way we, we treat this as one of the same. And also it incentivizes the clients to collaborate with us because they've already paid for our advisory. So if they ignore us, first of all, they're not going to get the ROI, but also the other incentivized to work with us instead of being penalized by fearing an hourly bill and and entering their inbox just because they had to ask a few questions. Yeah, yeah, I've been in that situation. I feel like just ask one question. Why did you just send me, send me a bill about it? Yeah, uh, that's a good strategy. Actually, I didn't see too many firms doing that in the accounting space. Is that become common now from, you know, since you're in the space to talk to so many people? It's, a, it, it's becoming more popular. There's a, the growing movement is towards value pricing and subscription. There's a growing movement towards that. Not everybody does it. It's incredibly hard to implement and figure out how to boot profitably and also to make sure the client understands what's in scope. Because we've had some conversations earlier on and we have resistance and misunderstandings. We have to have a very clear uh, conversations with the clients and the engagement layer so they understand what is included and what's not. Why do you say it's a hard to implement? It's hard because they don't remember they just, a lot of times they don't understand and also coming up with a price that makes sense. You know, those things, because when you come up with a price, now you're locked in for the rest of the year. But you're going to make people. So you need a pricing model that's, that, that's going to be profitable and, and, and make sense for you and the client. Gotcha. So your model is more value-based selling rather than hourly-based selling because a traditional accounting firm is all about a billable hour, et cetera. Yeah, that's old school. I mean, I just had an hour and a half meeting with a guy. You know, I'm not going to, let's say, and, and we use hourly billing at most firms. So let's say my hourly rate would have been $500, $1,000 an hour. We're going to save this guy like $150,000 an from the results of our conversation. What about, he's paying for the accumulation, the accumulation of thousands of hours of research and legal vetting and plunder. Yeah. To get there. And, you know, think about like a house flipper. A house flipper buys a property for 100, adds maybe 50,000, sells it for 400,000. Does the buyer really care how much time the flipper put into that? They just care about the value, the product, the end result. They're paying for that. They they don't care how long my butt is in this seat to get the work done. Then mm. they want the results. So he says, shift in mindset when you're moving to value pricing. 
Um, totally makes sense. And also the clients know what value they get, right? How much money they saved. Totally. And when you can substantiate that and save them more than your fees, it's an easier thing to sell. Gotcha, gotcha. So is that, is that a trend in the accounting firm right now? It is. Um, but there's a lot of backwards accounting firms out there. You might want to buck. You know, a lot of them are, most firms undercharge. Mm-hmm. The bar is low, the standards are low. Yep. Um, but you can go into a firm, double or triple price, but maybe create hundreds of additional, in thousands of additional savings for your clients. And um, everybody's happy. Your client has more money, you have more time, you serve for fewer clients. Uh, so, so most firms suck. Most firms are backwards. Many firms abuse their clients. Uh, but there, there, there's if you align yourself with the right ideas, you can really have a wonderful, profitable, interesting, and engaging and exciting business operation. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you so much for all this information. I think that we talked about before. Around family office, we try to expand in the family office to a multi-family office by acquire accounting firm or financial service firm or wealth management firm or financial planning or whatever who serve the same clientele as we serve. So, so we can expand in so those clients can get access to a certain asset class they may have access before. So that's our, my current strategy. I think you just give me, me a lot of insights to understand the industry. Uh, thank you so much. I know you're very busy person and they're always very nice to talk with you. I always learn something from you and hopefully at one point we can do business together. Absolutely, Jasmine. Great talking to you. Have a great rest of your day.